Hey, welcome to the first podcast. I haven't made podcasts before. I uh, just wanted to be able to discuss things that are on my mind, things that have been bothering me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Facebook. I recently have my account disabled on Facebook. Um, I feel like it's important to add my perspective. Uh, I studied history for years. I view things from the point of view of tradition. Myself, personally, I'm a Christian, but I'm not limited to Christian perspective. I'm able to look at things through the viewpoint of tradition, which influences my perspective and how I interpret current events and as far as trends and where we're going. So I want to get a little bit into that. Uh, One of the main issues going on has been big media censorship. So I want to provide a little bit of perspective to that. I'm a little bit older, so I remember a time before the internet, or at least before the internet was available to the average person. At that time, the media could control the narrative. That is why we had such a sense of civility among people. There was this idea that we could hear from you know, both sides, as if there's only two sides. But we could hear from both sides, we could have a healthy debate, we could come to conclusions, draw our own conclusions, and on the basis of facts. And this is kind of plays into the whole stereotype about Walter Cronkite and the news and this time back then when everything was perfect, and Walter Conkite just told you how it was, and there was none of this media spin, and everything like that. Unfortunately, there's no truth to this perspective at all. When I was growing up, the news lied. The news was fake news, just like it is now. But with the internet, everything changed. And we knew it would change. We knew exactly how it would change and what would come in the future and that's what we were concerned about as early users of the internet I was probably on the internet before most people that I knew and I was very keen to look up things like radical political views I was interested in um, things like anarchism communism and socialism because I figured we had been lied to about these things I was always a patriot though just want to make that clear. But I was always looking for solutions to the problems I saw around me. So I want to give a few examples of what I'm talking about. So let's start from the beginning. Access to information in the past was limited without the internet. What that means is that most people had their educational experiences, their experiences with the news, their experiences with books, organizations, all of these things. Well, it naturally has a kind of limit. For instance, with publishing, you have the major publishers. That's who you're more likely to be able to get a book from or a magazine. With news, you're limited to the major networks, radio stations things like that. 
newspapers, well, you know, what kind of publications could there be? You know, maybe if you lived in a bigger city, maybe there'd be some kind of small-time alternative publication. So what did we do back in the day before the internet? Well, it was very hard to get the word out. For me, I was interested when I would go on trips to pick up the uh, all kinds of newspapers, uh, whether it be socialist or patriot. You know, I remember going to this one Tasty Freeze and picking up uh, copies of old newspaper called The Spotlight, which was it's just very controversial even to this day. But, you know, I also read communist publications, anarchist publications. I uh, read Lyndon LaRouche's publications. It all comes to a head with a seminal event that I want to discuss. Waco. The news media universally lied to us about Waco. And just to give you an idea of how difficult things were before the internet to get the word out. There was um, rumors going about about what really happened at Waco. And there was no way to find out when I first heard. But then I started listening to shortwave radio. I was given a shortwave radio by my stepdad. And it was very interesting. I remember listening to different people, patriots, foreign stations, even Radio Havana, Cuba. Um, and I remember listening to the Hour of the Time. And one of the things he discussed was Waco. And I remember him just pleading, pleading to people to get this videotape. At the time, that's what you had to do, because he could discuss everything till the cows came home about what happened. He could tell his perspective, what he saw, but if you really wanted to see visuals, if you wanted to see video, you had to get the video. The first one that came out, there's been a lot that's come out since then, I mean, we've even done miniseries and things to discuss what really happened. So the truth has come out. I mean, it's n no longer even controversial. But at that time, you had to get this VHS made by a lady named Linda Thompson, uh, who's no longer with us, but neither is the person who made the hour of the time. Anyway, the host was begging, begging us to get this video. And I didn't get it at the time. Uh, I only watched it years later, but later on, a different documentary was made uh, called Waco Rules of Engagement, and it kind of addressed a lot of the things that was brought up in Waco, The Big Lie, which was the documentary that uh, Linda Thompson had produced. So through Waco Rules of Engagement and other subsequent videos that came out, people learned the truth. People were angry. And this is where, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center and stuff started to churn up things and, and provide a narrative, if you will, of what was really going on. And they tried to spin it as some kind of 
racial thing. And they tried to make uh, the Branch Davidians look racial, racialist, racist. They tried to make uh, the militia movement, which they called it a movement to begin with, as opposed to just the fact that there's an unorganized militia, legally speaking. And they really branded these people as fanatics, radicals. And then what happened? Well, Oklahoma City bombing happened. And that put a damper on everything because it was done the same day. It was the anniversary of what happened at Waco. And it put to rest for most people this kind of outrage that they had for what had happened at Waco. This is under the Clintons too, by the way. And as sad as it was, I I just want to make it clear that I don't support uh, necessarily any of these movements. I'm just trying to provide you analysis of what happened and what's going to happen. And I'm going to compare that to what the media has done nowadays. So I, I want to make it very clear that I don't support uh, racism or militias or anything of that sort, or I don't support what happened at Waco. Obviously, um, I'm going to try, rather than spoon feeding you how you should feel, I'm going to try to provide an analysis for what happened. So, that was a benefit for the Clintons. As sad as all those deaths were, because it took from the public's mind their focus away from what happened at Waco. And whether this was intentional or not is almost another topic altogether. So this was the, um, what it was like to try to get the word out before the age of the internet. Well, when the internet came around, this was around the same time that it started to make its appearance uh, although it hadn't become regular, you know, w- there was a blue ribbon campaign. I think I remember where people were trying to uh, make sure that the internet remained free. And at the time, you know, there would be like a websites that were maybe hosted by universities, or maybe there was these there was these free websites that you could set up, and people would kind of write their own political viewpoint. They would maybe write their own kind of manifesto of how they would feel what they thought was a solution. I was looking for different solutions at the time. And I remember this guy on C-SPAN, he, he made this, um, he was giving a speech and he was saying that, well, the internet in the future, it's going to be about buying things. It's like, nobody cares about your pamphlets. And I remember there was this concern that like, they wouldn't have to censor the internet if it just got taken over the majority by major corporations and limit it to a few different sites and that would be the end of it that would be the end of free speech this is kind of what's happened you know i can get on here and say my points of view and and we'll see where that goes i got got on facebook said my points of view privately not for the public everything was set to private and yet my account was disabled. No warning, nothing. No explanation, nothing. 
appeal it. I've heard back nothing so far. So here I am now. So before, when you could have debate, and when you could have uh, a kind of coming together of minds, and healthy respect for one another, healthy respect for different viewpoints, and you could have elections and, and under these kind of guises, the access to information was limited. So an issue like Waco was outside of the scope of the mainstream. It wouldn't be discussed. And the reality of what was going on in in the third world, under communist regimes, maybe what America was supporting abroad, that was not up for discussion. Because it was it would not fit the CBS news kind of cookie cutter reality of the world. Well now, with the internet it was like that dam burst open. And here came a tidal wave of different points of view, of information, and everything. And that's where I think things switched. Especially in the age of Donald Trump running for president. When you had a, someone like Senator McCain running against Obama, and uh, someone like Romney running against Obama, you didn't really have a difference. McCain and Obama were, were one and the same when it came to foreign policy, when it came to policies on Syria, and things like that, which have proved to be a lot more important than most people thought at the time. So now, with this tidal wave of information, you have the need for real censorship on the part of big tech. And there's been these big announcements in newspapers like the New York Times, calls for censorship. You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough to censor these people. You're not doing enough to suppress fake news. And so I'm Armenian in my background and I participate in Armenian forums on Facebook and we would get notices saying, look, you can't, your reach is limited because you're posting too much fake news. And it could be about the country of Turkey, troop movements there. And it occurred to me, you know, how would Facebook know what's real and what's not about Turkey? Well, what's come to light recently is this kind of collusion between Facebook and the state of Azerbaijan, which is an enemy of Armenia and a friend of Turkey's close allies. They're like brother and sister countries. They're both Turks. Just a different kind of Turk, but related. So, the need for censorship is there. And then, you have the rise of the snowflakes. Instead of having a legitimate debate, it's no longer possible, because all the facts are possible to get, or they can sort themselves out. You no longer have that control of the whole realm of facts, where you limit it to a certain scope, where people are only able to make this kind of pinball machine decisions, you know, cling, 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 you know, left, right, left, right, left, right, oh no, the ball falls in, oh, 
Try again. Left, right, right, left, 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 right, right. Oh, the ball falls down. Oh, try again. That's like American politics for decades. For decades. And then you had you know, people maybe on the fringes of society that would push different points of view, like, you know, communists or people who are, you know, anti-communist or, you know, maybe anarchists and other points of view that are, these are the fringe points of view, or maybe people that are really just too religious. You know, these are the fringe points of view, they get demonized. So now, the rise of the radical snowflakes is a way of dealing with this information overload. It's because they don't want to debate. You might lose that. You might lose that perspective. Their points of view may not win out. So you have to shut people down. You have to demonize them. You have to call them names. And one of the ways to do that is to call yourself an anti-fascist. So if somebody opposes you, well, what would they be? Well, the implication is that they're the fascist. And then people will say, oh, well, you know, you're the real fascist. The anti-fascists are the real fascists. And then you have people saying, oh, well, let's be anti-anti-fascist. I'm like, so you're going to be against that too? Anti-anti-anti-fascist? That's the kind of dilemmas that people come up with. And the anti-fascist thing is not new. It goes back a very long way. And the whole thing goes back to Germany, obviously, and the whole Nazis thing. But it almost obscures what really is important about all of this. Because clearly, the anti-fascist movement was not limited to Germany. One of the big pushes was in Spain, which I think is extremely relevant to now. And we always talk about 1984. Oh, are we entering 1984? Oh, reality is like 1984. Well, Spain is that example where 1984 came from. And you might say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, a lot of the things that happened in the book 1984 took place in Spain. How do I know that? You weren't living in Spain. No, I wasn't. But you know who was? George Orwell. You know, the man who talks so much about media? The man who talks so much about totalitarian government? Yeah, that man. He was a socialist. And people use that to dismiss him. They say, oh, I became really right-wing. No, he didn't. But the right-wing also uses it to denounce him sometimes. I've heard people on the radical right, so-called, who are really kind of socialist, just of a more nationalistic variety. They a lot of times will denounce Orwell because they'll say, hey, Orwell, you're a socialist. What you say doesn't matter. But Orwell wrote a book called Homage to Catalonia. And it discusses his experiences in Spain. It's a very interesting book. So, this is before Orwell wrote 1984, and I think it influences 
1984. It's pretty much a non-fiction book, uh, Homage to Catalonia. So Orwell wanted to sign up to fight fascism. He was a socialist. Uh, I heard that he tried to go through the Communist Party and was rejected. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it's in the book. It's been too long since I've read it, to be honest with you. Uh, it's almost beside the point. He ended up going to Spain. He uh, fought alongside um, uh, the side of Pum, or it's like P-O-U-M or P-O-U-M-E. Um, this was a kind of Trotskyist militia movement within Spain, fighting against the fascists, but they weren't on board with the communists. So, Orwell provides a perspective of Catalonia, which had a lot of anarchist support for the revolution there. And it talks a lot about the communists. And what ended up happening is that Orwell became on the list. And he was in danger, and he had, he had to flee. Orwell um, had gotten shot, by the way, through the throat and survived which is interesting enough. So, he provides a detailed personal account of what the government was doing, the so-called Republican government, which was really controlled by the communists, and how they started consolidating power, and how they started liquidating the rest of the left, which included George Orwell. So what ended up happening was that he fled uh, just in time, and he was tried in absentia, to death. But so he made it out barely with his own life. Now, one of the interesting parts of Amish to Catalonia is the whole discussion of the British media and what they were reporting on happened in Spain. It was very clear to Orwell that they weren't telling the truth, that what he saw with his own eyes went against what's going on on the ground in Spain. This is a very important point. It tells you that it's not new that the media lies. They haven't just started lying because of Trump. It has nothing to do with Trump. It's all about control. If you start digging back even further, you'll start finding out that the American media lied to get us involved in World War I. You know, World War II, we always look and think of that as the good war, you know, oh, we fought against the Nazis. Yeah, well, we overlooked the communists in that war, but okay. You know, I'm not on the side of the Nazis, clearly. But, you know, I'm not on the side of the communists either. But World War I was a different story. It wasn't about fascism. It wasn't about communism. These things started to take root more because of that war. You had the Russian Revolution during the war, things like that. But the American media was maligning the opposition to World War I, including the opposition from the Socialists, including the opposition from a group called the Industrial Workers of the World, who opposed World War I. They started, they talked a lot about it. I remember one of the things was for the Industrial Workers of the World, or IWW, they called them Imperial Wilhelms, uh, I want to say wizards, or warriors. For, that was supposed to mean what IWW meant. And then 
they talked about the atrocities that the, the Germans were carrying out against the Belgians, you know, ripping babies out of their womb. None of this was true. At least the Germans weren't any worse than the English. In America, we had strong cultural ties to Germany, as well as England at the time. It wasn't just 100% natural that we would go on the side of the English. The English had been our enemy through a lot of the uh, previous century. So, media lying about the Spanish Civil War is nothing new because they lied about World War I. And then lying about Trump now is nothing new. They lied about Waco, nothing new again there, too. They lied apparently about the first Gulf War, you know, Desert Storm. They lied to get us involved in that, apparently. I don't know enough about it, but, you know, other people have talked about it, including Noam Chomsky, uh, to talk more about him later. I, I think he's a big phony, but, you know, people take his analysis seriously. I don't anymore, but that's almost beside the point. It's interesting to note what George Orwell said about the media and what he saw with his own eyes in Spain versus what the British media said. Not just the communist media, but all of the media. Similar things have happened with the mainstream media when you're talking about Syria and when they're talking about the whole struggle against ISIS, whole things in Kurdistan in recent years. I knew people on the ground who they would talk about how they would see one thing and that the media would report another. You know, I don't necessarily want to get too much into detail about that, but it just goes to show that what they're doing is not new. What is new is the internet. That's why you have the rise of the snowflakes, and that's why you have the need for greater censorship. Just like you had the need for censorship back 100 years ago. To suppress certain publications, or they would, the powers that be would suppress publications in the so-called public interest. And now we're seeing that done by big tech. And where's the left on this? You think, you would think that the left would oppose this kind of censorship because it is like the censorship of corporations, big corporations. But somehow, the people that are supposed to stand against the corporations, supposed to stand for socialism, supposed to stand on the side of the people, they're silent. They're silent in the face of corporate censorship. And that's what it is. So we have to have a long-term perspective. Things can look pretty bad on the short term. There's a lot of negativity out there. There's a lot of negativity on Facebook, but there's a lot of great things about our life that people don't realize. And it's only because they lack perspective. If they study history, history provides that perspective. And if you had that perspective, you'd realize that right now, in 2020, even with all the crap, even with all the imposition of dictatorial methods, even with all the whole like, I feel like it's like they want us to wear dog muscles when it comes to what we do. It's all not that bad when you compare it to times past.
to them. Importance of perspective, importance of understanding spiritual relationship, where we stand as human beings in the whole spiritual hierarchy. That kind of reality is not popular to talk about amongst Christians even, let alone atheists who deny that reality is more complicated than the three dimensions, excluding time, if you want to look at that as a dimension. People want to reduce the world to these three dimensions, and that produces this sense of hopelessness that drives things like addiction and suicide and terrorism. Drives that sense of hopelessness. But what we want is a sense of perspective, which is accomplished by studying history, if from having a proper spiritual orientation. We'll get more into these things in future episodes, but I just wanted to lay out this episode, to lay out the reality of what we face when it comes to the mainstream media, when it comes to corporate censorship, and how that fits into a longer-term perspective. Anyway, take care. Hope you enjoyed this.